0: What up? What up, y'all? My name is Cal. My name is Anna, and you're tuned to Cognac Cupcakes and Conversations.
1: CCC is a podcast with a twist. Cognac cupcakes and stimulating conversations, because it's not just about us anymore, and we're striving to promote awareness of issues affecting our communities. In short, it's a vibe. Yes, yes. Welcome, everybody, to a very special episode of CCC. Uh, we are going to bypass some of our normal um, highlights of the show uh, because uh, today's episode, we wanted to just kind of, you know, with the 20th anniversary of nine eleven coming up, we wanted to just kind of shine a light on that and reminisce on some of the memories that we have from that day. Um, And we actually ended up having um, a special guest on the show. Um, Her name is Carla Nicole, and um, she actually is my cousin. (laughs) The reason why we have her on the show is that uh, her father was actually a victim that perished in the World Trade Center on 9-11, and um, just wanted to get somebody's Somewhat firsthand account that's like a little closer to it than us, right? Right, so um, Kel, like I'm talking a lot, but I didn't know if you wanted to say anything really quick. <laughs> yeah, no,
0: no, um, I think that this moment that we're reflecting on is you know, it's crazy, like, um, not to get too deep because we're going to talk about a lot of it in our interview, but even preparing for the show. I started like watching their documentaries and I've never really realized how affected I was about this. Mm. Um, and just thinking about like how much we as millennials have been through, like yeah. we've, we've been like, it's crazy. We went through 9-11. We went through DC Sniper. We went through yes. a global pandemic. Like we are a very resilient group. Generation. Generation. Yes, that's a generation. It's it, it truly amazes me. And you know, um, I definitely shared my opinions on the interview with Carla about um how I felt about it, but reflecting and preparing for this um for this show, watching documentaries just to like make sure I had all my facts straight in case, you know. I literally woke up this morning. I could well, I didn't go to sleep last night, but because I have crazy insomnia right now. But oh, no. I I'm woke sorry. I was watching Turning Point Point, nine eleven, and the War on Terror on Netflix series because everybody's doing
1: right, right. So. Sure Hulu's probably got one too. <laughs> yes.
0: Hulu actually has one too. Yes, you're right. <laughs> so I, and I plan to watch all of them just because I like documentaries. I'm weird like that. Um that's my nerve. Yeah, no, me dad,
1: too. I like it too. So I know, you know that the Wu-Tang show is back.
0: Yes, I, I do know that That's on my, my to-do list. Yes. for <laughs> <laughs> the season two. Um, But yeah, like, and I just cannot stop crying this morning watching the documentaries. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yo, this did not affect me this much as a teenage. Like, yeah, as a teenager, I had to think about what I was.
1: Why is it just now hitting me? And I'm like, damn, we went through a lot. It was emotional. Like I I, I can kind of relate to that because when I watched the Spike Lee thing and again like you I won't delve too deep into it, but his documentary that's on HBO Max 911 um it's NYC Epicenter is 911 through 2021 and a half. And it's about like how New York was has been affected tremendously by COVID by um, Donald Trump becoming president. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump was to New Yorkers. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it goes all the way back to 9 11. And the way that they started it off, it had me already emotional. That that episode. Now it's like three episodes and they're all two hours long. So it's like donkey long. Like you you probably going to have to watch that over two, uh, two, Three days, three days, honestly. It took me three days to get through it. But um, the third episode was the 9 one. And the way they started it, it was like people, you know, um, not New York. It was um, right. I, it's the other one with the like the sailor boy singing and it's like musical. Welcome like
0: to New York. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No it's New like York. it's
1: that famous song. Uh-huh. And then you see them, like, they show all the different parts of the movie where the Sailor Boys were and what it looks like now. And so Spike Lee is excellent. He is. He, is, he, he understands the assignment every single every time. time. And even the music, Dennis was talking about how, like, the scoring, like, how he uses a lot of orchestra music where mm-hmm. it's, like, really strong and you could You can feel the feels, right? Yeah, you can feel the feels. So he had that plan and he was showing when they were first building building the Twin Towers. Oh, wow. Yeah, like I was like, I've never seen that before. Like we talk about it, we see it and we see it crumble. We even hear about the first bombing that happened in like, what, 93? 93, 93, yeah. Yeah, but we never, I had never seen clips and footage of, the towers being built.
0: Yeah, I've never seen that either.
1: So, honestly, that,
0: I didn't even know about the twin towers until well, okay. Yes and no. Like, I've heard you seen the skyline. Yes, it's not But I
1: didn't know what it right. was until right. it happened. I think most people, that was for a lot of people unless you knew someone who worked in there or whatever, you know, or you lived there, you probably didn't know much about the towers like that. Like I didn't know much about the Pentagon, you know? So, um, but yeah, not to go off on a tangent, but like that was really deep. And I was like, man, this makes me kind of emotional already. Just seeing them building this. Right. I want you to see how it just crumbled. And let me tell y'all, if y'all, whenever y'all watch it, if y'all do watch it, prepare yourself because he got like angles. He had angles. And he had different parts. He he was talking from, it was mostly the black and brown perspective, which was- And I love more. that. I love yeah. the
0: fact that it's that.
1: It was woo. Like all of those different things was most, mostly black and brown perspective, but of course, white people too. But um, because they were heavily involved, obviously as well. Right, right. But he also got the perspective, um, he got the perspectives of the first responders. He got the perspectives of the people that were working he got the perspectives of the journalists that just happened to be down there you know and everybody lost some he even got the perspectives of the pilots like people that worked for cuz a lot one of the planes was united airlines mm-hmm. so he even got the perspective of people who were flight attendants and they all like lived together in the same house and it was black people mm-hmm. and they black and brown people and they knew the pe- some of the people that was on that plane
0: uh-huh. like
1: why just it was just like the emotions man like right. the like breaking it down for like the person that was like the head um what's the person that uh is like it's a super or whatever like they, it's not a super but like the head person in charge of like janitorial stuff i, I and i'm really minimizing his role mm-hmm. um by default accidentally no disrespect but like whoever had the keys to all the Rooms like how he was able to bring the some of the firemen and the police officers upstairs to unlock the doors when when the fires was going on and just talking. They they had pictures of firefighters that went upstairs and obviously never came back.
0: That is so dope to even get like all the levels of the chain of commands, I guess. Like yeah. I don't think anybody would have ever thought, let me talk to the custodials. And find yes. out that process, because that is the person that has all the keys. That is the person that knows that building more than any other person besides the engineer who, yes. the, you know, and the whoever built the building, whatever the case may be. Right. So it was just so dope. deep
1: and profound how he how he did that. And so and the custodial guy was really passionate and just like how he almost died because he was running up there with them. And the police officer finally told him, you need to leave. Like, you're part of my responsibility, too. You have gone too far. Like, you've led us up here. We're going to have to do the rest on our own. And he's hearing, like, one of the floors break down. And he's just like, oh, that means my friends, like, he's hearing on the thing, oh, we lost the floor, 64 or whatever. And he's like, my friends that are up there are trapped. I got to go. And the police officer is like, no, you you need to leave. And how he ran when he finally gets downstairs, everything, how everything looked different to him. You could tell he was custodial because he was like the beautiful golden doors that opened up that that turn on a turnstile. It was just a vacant, open space. And something else he described. And then he said the police officers told him not to turn around. And when he turned around, he saw all the bodies of the mm-hmm. people that had been jumped. They even was talking about that.
0: Yeah, I, they did that in the turning point, too. Like, they were really zooming in on the people who jumped out the windows mm-hmm. and had the families of those members of the people that they could find, I guess, yeah. related to those people who felt like they didn't have no choice. And I think that's,
1: I was just like, I yeah, don't know if was my cycle or everything. I was yeah. just um, done. <laughs> that, that took you out. I know. Yes. Buster Rhymes was on this one. He was saying how he lived down the street from, from um, World Trade Center, and he was just, like, saying how it, it tore him up when yeah. he saw the people, like, just, he was like, you have no idea what they must have been going, going through up there. Like, this is my only decision. Right. Either I die and choke on on smoke in here and burn to death, or I, like, at least end it faster. Ugh. It's just... Whew. And so, for that reason alone, we we definitely don't want to like uh, minimize like the the seriousness of this topic for this week's episode. We want to jump straight into the interview, but before we do that, I do want to say rest in peace to Michael K. Williams, and also rest rest in peace to um, Greg Leeks, uh, Nini. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Husband, so. I didn't say that last week, so. Definitely wanted to highlight that, but Michael K. Williams was a really big activist in the community. They are saying that it was um, a drug overdose that he passed of. Um, apparently, you know, I heard some from some people in the industry via secondhand, of course. <laughs> not a, but like, you know, listening to like the Joe Button podcast and some other podcasts about how. Joe Budden actually kind of low-key had this weird relationship with him where when he was going to um, rehab at his local church and stuff like that, Michael K. Williams was there too and just seeing his growth and stuff and just like they just kept meeting up over. Like he just kept – he'd be in the airport randomly um, bump into him. He'd be in L.A. chilling at a pool rooftop with two girls and stuff. And Michael K Williams would come out on the same rooftop with a bunch of his friends and stuff. And and just talked about how great this man was and stuff. And um, he said, even his chef, one of his chefs that he ended up employing, he ended up learning, you know, later on that that was Michael K Williams son. <laughs> and it's just like how he had this weird thing where he just kept, running into jumping him bumping into each other's lives Michael K Williams and him and you know he he was crying he was crying on the podcast about him and just how he could recognize the struggle that he had and he hates how the publications you know they just kind of can be very raw and not talk about accolades as much what I will say is that man really was shining bright towards the end of his life
0: absolutely he has done a lot of great work outside of the wire. I know um, our, one of our favorite shows that he was on before, I guess one of his more recent ones were, was Lovecraft Country. Um, he was on When They See Us. He played the father of, I cannot remember this, the boy's name. Well, the man's name because he's he's no longer a boy. But, um.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. J- Jonathan is something. His first name is Jonathan something. Jonathan Majors? I think that's his real name. But his name on the show, Tick, Tick was his name on the show. But I don't remember. Oh, no, no, no. I'm talking about from um, Tick was on when they
0: see Tick. I mean Tick was on Lovecraft, but um, oh. When They See Us, the Father. Oh, I'm
1: sorry. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yo, I can't remember which. Not the main. He wasn't the He was the father home. of one of the sons. Yeah, yeah. like you said. Mm-hmm. And he had a very um that's impactful that's role on there. there. And um he played anything. He put his his you know any role that he was in. He he put his foot in it. He put his yep. whole damn body and soul into that joint. And um, you know he will definitely be missed. I have a, a a much different view on people that commit suicide or die of drug overdoses nowadays. Um, so I have I'll say I have a lot more empathy. Mm -hmm. I mean, I already had empathy before, but like being an older person and just be adulting life. Mm -hmm. You You get it. You get it. You get it. Yeah, (laughs) I get it. I I somewhat get it. I get it. And then I don't get it because I'm not even on the level that some of these people be on as far as stardom, pressure. I already feel a little piece of pressure. Imagine being those people, you know? So... Yeah. And then
0: I think times right now, like mm-hmm. is very, very different when it comes to the drug world as well. Um, if you guys watch the show Canaan, it kind of touched on that subject a little bit about the types of drugs that we have. Like, yeah. And I've I've heard from like the old older folks who used to dibble and dabble
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> how the weed ain't the same. You know the perks, the, the coke, with all the the different things. Yeah, anymore, and um, you just don't know what's being put in with what. And yeah. fentanyl is a very very dangerous drug that just cannot. They did like I seen a comparison. Um, it was like a penny, and it was like a speck. Like bitch, you can you had to take a, a exam. What what is a magnifying glass? To mm-hmm. see? And they were like, that is a lethal dose of fentanyl next to the penny. And it was like, how would how would you even how would you know? You just you
1: it. And you that, don't know these days. did you watch the last episode of Canaan? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you see how tiny, those little mini tiny. Spoiler alert. How tiny those little rocks were! Yeah, that they had, that killed people. I'll just leave it at that. just in case nobody's seen the episode yet. Right, instantly, but instant, instant death, instant. Hmm. I did see they
0: used to, like I said, G, I'm a nerd, so I used to be really. And I'm gonna t- wrap this up real quick, but I yeah. used to, I love watching documentaries, and it was this documentary on, um, I think it was called like Dope Fiends. I can't remember what i feel like it was netflix no it wasn't netflix it had to be like hulu or something um and it was like going like they tracked down different dope fiends and like follow them throughout their day and and they talked about like always trying to chase that first high and this one was specifically on heroin which that's fentanyl (laughs) So, um, oh. it's just like a really specific type.
1: <laughs> oh,
0: interesting! So, and with heroin, it, it's it's a thing where, from from what I've watched in the documentaries, I I don't know, and I don't want mm-hmm. to know.
1: <laughs> Right, right, right.
0: <laughs> but from what I from what they said with heroin, you'll never get a highlight that first high and mm-hmm. and that's the thing that they always chase is that that specific one and you never know if that's going to be the one that's going to take you out so mm-hmm. it's it's just like this like for those people who like to live on the verge or on the edge it the adrenaline i guess yeah it's <laughs> like ooh i got to have it you got to know yourself too if you know that you know like a lot of especially in the black and brown community we have addictive genes and mm-hmm. I think we need to talk more about that. Yeah. As as like with youth so they can know and be prepared. Like maybe certain things I just know that I can't do because my family has a history of having an addictive gene. Mm-hmm. So I just know that I'm not gonna go anywhere close to certain things. You gotta know your limits. Girl, I know my I
1: know with weed. I, I, that's probably it for me <laughs> right, drinks right and that's, it. that's drinks awesome. and green and and really even with the green like I had to be very careful I mean I haven't done it in so long now that I'm pregnant but like I have to be very careful with that I'm kind of sticking to CBD <laughs> because uh oh, well post-pregnancy I'll be probably engaging in that i don't know does that transfer to the baby that's a whole other conversation we gotta get reset while <laughs> back on here um because i don't want to transfer cbd to the baby but i would just like, wait to ask you if finish it comes to baby de- no okay <laughs> just finish breastfeeding
0: just yes breastfeeding. no i'm
1: joking kidding kidding <laughs> no um no but like uh you know w- with the thc like the it's the psych the what do they call psychoactive mm-hmm. piece of weed that um be fucking me up? It really does. It takes me too far. And I just have not gotten a grasp on what is my right dosage. Yep. And I don't know if I ever will, honestly, because it's such a man-handled thing now. Not man-made, but man-handled, that I would have to get it from a specific the closest I've gotten to that is. Um, reset wellness, shout out to them. Yep. Um, and even them, like, I think I went too far sometimes with a brownie or a gummy and then it just kind of tore me up. And then I was like, all right, I gotta just stick to the CBD. Yeah, you know, for,
0: for all of our L.A. culture uh, people out there, because they are like queens and kings of micro dosing. Like that's what they do. Mm. Y'all need to hip us.
1: Let us know how that yeah. works. Yeah, micro dosing could be a thing for me. But all that all, all that LSD, I don't know if these things still exist, but LSD, heroin, Uh, obviously not crack. Um, But what's some of the other? I think it's LSD that they be doing in the Burning Man and all that. I ain't got time. I ain't got time at all to to engage in those like, psych- oh, shrooms and the shrooms. Right. I just think I'm just going to leave this earth, you know, not anytime soon in the name yeah. of Jesus, but I'm going to leave this earth without trying the rest of those things because I just, I don't know, you know, now that I got the ayahuasca, mm-hmm. I just, I don't think it's for me. i I I, I mean i understand like the
0: different health reasons behind some of these things as well um and i know that the doctors are really looking into bringing back the psychedelics i know back in the 70s they had a really big push for mental patients to do psych uh, psychedelics and from i've been hearing more rumblings about how they're about to bring back that study and I'm just like, yo, y'all. You can leave me out of that. Mm-mm. Y'all. So good. Take me to the king. Take me to the king. Right.
1: Exactly. Take me to, exactly. the, king. Take me to just, the king. I can't. <laughs> yes. Well, yes. Um, <laughs> all jokes aside, we're going to get into this wonderful interview where we talk with um, Carla and Nicole about, and each other, um, basically about how 9 um, 11, you know, what our 9 11 experiences were. Hers was, of course, a lot deeper than ours. Um, and also, how it has had a ripple effect in all of our lives. And, um, you know, how she has been able to move forward after such a tragic loss because she was a teenager when her father passed. And at a pivotal age, she was like 17, about to go into college. So, um, without further ado, here's our interview. And we have a special guest on the show today. We have my cousin, Carla Nicole, on the show. Hi, she everybody. has been on this show plenty of, yes, <laughs> cheers. As <far> as- <laughs> she I'm- has been on the show a couple times already. Um, she was on, you mo- might remember her um, mostly from the episode that we did with, um mother's what was that episode called again my experience my black experience. Yes.
2: yes yes
1: yes and um we have her on for uh, she has a whole bunch of other accolades first of all <laughs> not just being a mama she is fabulous as well okay. um and uh, carla you go ahead and introduce yourself how you want to introduce yourself
2: Okay. Well, hello everyone. Um, as Anna Raquel said, my name is Carla Nicole. I, um, I am a mom, of course, but I'm also a uh, decorated in psychology and forensic science, um, used to work in that field. But now I am a stay-at-home mom to my wonderful babies who are five and two. Yeah. And, um, and I'm a wife, so three children.
1: Yes. Yeah. so so that's so
2: that's that so you know we're just we're just shucking and surviving
1: yes indeed indeed and so um today's episode as you may have heard us earlier in the podcast mentioned that we're just kind of recounting our time with uh 9-11 um, Carla's father, in fact, uh, my uncle Rudy, was a victim who perished during the pe- attack on the World Trade Center on September 11, 2001. But he of course was so much more than that, and she will definitely expand on that. But first, we wanted to um, just recount that day, and what happened to each of us, or how we experienced. that day. Of course, uh, Carla's experience will be much more impactful. Um, It was much more impactful on her life. But um, a lot of everyone has their own story about 9-11. And um, we just want to also delve into how 9-11 has had a ripple effect on our lives since then as Americans, as Black people, people of color. Etc. Um, but Kel, we was talking earlier, Kel and Carla, we was talking earlier about um, memory, and Kel, you wanted to talk about that really quick before we start. Absolutely. So we was watching the show on Netflix called
0: um, Explained, and the Explained episode I think was called Memory Explained, and it was just talking about how the brain operates with memory and how we think we can remember, you know, certain events one way, but you actually aren't remembering it the exact way that it was told. Like you have, and the more and more like time goes on, the more and more you, you know, recount, you know, what actually happened, your memory starts to fade little by little and you start creating stories based off of what you thought happened. And it seems so real that you'd be like, it really did happen that way. And then you look back on like the actual footage of what happened, like, oh.
1: Right. Amazing how the- I have so many, I have so many things like that in life period. So I'm not surprised. And I remember one example on that episode, this girl was talking about how, like, I think the episode started off how she said she saw the smoke billowing outside of her class window and stuff like that. And she was just like, you know, going into all of that and all the chaos and stuff. But when they, they like kind of zoomed out of it, they was like, but well, she actually went to school in Long Island. And there's no way that she could have seen the smoke. (laughs) Right. And it's not that you're a liar. It's just that you,
0: it's also the fact that you have seen, when it's it's a historical event like that, you've seen so many recaptures of it that you start to mix and master the different ways that you saw it. Because it was on TV 24-7. And it didn't even stop for like, you know, months. It was like, I feel like a a good year of just, recanting that those days events over and over and over and over and over again and everyone listening constantly having that um those thoughts and those stories being input into your brain you just make your own story of what happened and I have definitely been guilty of that as well <laughs> um so it was just an interesting piece that I think was um cool and if you are up to looking at it, check it out on Netflix. It's called Explained and it's Memory Explained, I
1: believe. Yes, I believe it. And, and Carla, you said when you've gone to the Memorial Museum, yes. you saw an well, exhibit. So at
2: the Memorial, um, I, so I only go when um on 9-11 and I only go because any other day, it's just, it has become... I hate to say it, but a shit show because it's like so many tr- tourists are there. And I'm understanding that they wanna see, they wanna know, but it's kind of like, um, not kind of, it is um, it is a gravesite, you know, There, mm-hmm. there's this, it, it is what it is. Um, but at the memorial, um, if you ever get to go, there is a, a wall art where I think the the words are um, no moment in time can replace you or will replace you and it's just um, a bunch of square blue boxes and the boxes are different colors of blue of what um, you know people who were recanting that day the color of blue sky they saw because um, you know it was the most beautiful day yeah it was a very beautiful day I can recall just standing outside and just taking in the quiet. And the mm-hmm. thing that I heard was the, um, uh, oh, what do you call those? The, the military uh, mm-hmm. plane, uh, the jets, and seeing them like racing across the sky, but that's all you saw. And the sky was so blue. There was not a cloud in the sky. The sun was just beaming. It was just like, this is the most beautiful day. It was just, yeah uh eerie to
1: say yes eerie
0: to say the least very ironic but right. for the storm type of eerie like i mean i know we've all ex- it happened in so many different locations all at the same time but specifically in new york mm-hmm. would you say it was like a calm you know how like the calm before the storm where it's like this really pretty sunset before the tornado and the um, hurricane starts to hit and then it just is, darkness. is it was it like that for you there it,
2: it it was because it was like okay so let me tell you how my day went so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um I went to school um it was my I had like just turned I was like 15 16 something like that um yeah I was I was 15 because I um was the youngest in my class but anyway the point is is that um I was in English class and we were like, my English teacher was awesome. And he was talking about like how, you know, when they show you the news, this is his exact words, I'll never forget it. He's like, you know, when you're watching the news and they try to exacerbate what you see, um, they'll say terror on the tracks, but it really was no terror, but they just say that to to get your attention. And I will never forget that because I asked to go to the bathroom and um, one of my uh, friends, like he was just walking down the hall. And he was like, yeah, a helicopter flew into the World Trade Center. And like he laughed it off. like, And it was just random how he said it. He could have been talking to somebody else. But it was like, I'm walking to the bathroom. He's walking down the hall. And he's like, hey. And I, I just remember him saying, a helicopter flew into the World Trade Center. And I was just like, OK, random. And then, um, go to the bathroom, go back to class. Um, then I get called down to the office and it's, uh, mm-hmm. my aunt. it's our aunt Rosa calling me mm-hmm. and she wanted to know what my dad's beeper number was. That, that shows you how long ago that was,
1: right? <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I yeah.
2: was like, um, and I was like, questioning her why not because of any fear or anything like that but because my dad was a stockbroker so he was the type that when I'm on the floor don't disturb me I'm making money if I gotta stop doing what I'm doing if it's not like a super emergency I'm gonna be pissed because I'm losing money every every second counts Mm
1: -hmm.
2: so I just kept asking her why 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 and like I think I asked her why at least six times. And you know, like, Auntie Rosa wasn't the type to question. Like, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, look, I said
2: what I said. So, <laughs> she was like, um, she was just like, there was an accident. And we're trying to get in touch with him. And I, and then I said to her what I said, like, you know, he don't like to be bothered. So I gave her the the number. She was like, okay, cool. I go back to class. Now it's like a different period go back to class. I get called back to the office again. It's my mom. She's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm like, what's yeah. going on? And she's like, do you have your dad's cell phone number? And I'm like, yeah, but I don't know it off the top. I have to go get, you know, I had my little, you know, big um, remote control phone. I'm like, <laughs> I got to go check that. So she's like, all right, don't worry about it.
1: Are your close
0: together at, at this time? I'm sorry? were they together at this time
2: my parents Uh uh-huh. oh yeah they, they were married they were, mm-hmm. they were married till death do his part so um mm-hmm. they um i would go back to class and then i get called back to the office i get pulled out of math class and then i see my mom with a woman who from that day i would find out would become her very best friend they mm-hmm. my mom was mm-hmm. like my mom had my dad retired my mom early and i'll tell you all some more about yeah. okay. he retired her she was like 50 my mom is 72 now so yeah. he retired yeah. her so she said oh i'm going to go take computer classes so he was a, she was taking the classes and this lady comes mm-hmm. with her and i'm just like who this who this <laughs> and she was like um she was like get your things we got to go and i'm like why like what going on and so she was like um <clears throat> Let me let me rewind real quick. My aunt did tell me, she was like, there was an accident at the World Trade Center. And we just want to make sure your dad is okay. And I said, I remember when the first accident of the World Trade Center happened. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I was scared. I was, I was really young. I had to be in like second grade or something like that. And I remember being scared. And my dad always told me, don't worry. I'm never in that building until after six o'clock. He was. Like, That's when my my trades going now. Mind you, a sec- How old are you in second grade? Like I remembered that from all those yeah. years ago. So I knew he wasn't there. So I think that made my aunt calm. But when she spoke to my mom, there were some things that I didn't know, which was he had a meeting there that morning that was, um, excuse me, that was rescheduled. It was supposed to be Wednesday, but they pushed it to the Tuesday. And they, they called lie. him the night before. They called him Monday night and they were like, you know what, Rudy, let's just get this over with. So my, my dad um, was a stockbroker. He um, was the one of the first Black men to own his own seat. So it was him and I think four or five other gentlemen. Like I said, the meeting was supposed to be Wednesday. They called him Monday night and said, Let's just do this. We're going to meet at Windows on the World. And Mm -hmm. um, I could tell the night before my father was agitated because he didn't like last minute things. If anybody, you know, knows anything about my dad, he was an on-time person. He was like, if you're on time, you're late. Mm -hmm. And so he just, he was the type of person because he knew he was trading with different companies like Japan and stuff like that. He'd be up at four o'clock in the morning. They used to call him the shark on the floor because he he didn't miss. Mm-hmm. So um, and for him to be one of the first black men, like he worked with, um, uh, what is that guy? I can't remember his name. But um, the character that Will Smith played in um, oh. Happiness, yes, my dad were one of the first black men to own their own seat. And owning a seat on a New York on the American Stock Exchange was like half a million dollars. So for him, like he he worked up to that, you know? He was a black man, 70s, 80s, who took the series seven and passed it on the first try. So it was just like those, those like when I watched that movie, Pursuit of Happiness, like I understand, like, hey, this is what my dad had to go through, a, a man from a third world country, so to speak, Guyana, yeah. you know? Um, and he worked his way up from the mail room to, to where he was at. But um, that's just some background on him. But um, yes.
1: on- You better speak your daddy's accolades. Right. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and his name is in other places. Um, all, all the memorials that they have across the world, his name is on that. So that, you know, that makes me happy. At least people can see his name. And, um, you know, you'll see it. It'll say Eustace uh, Rudy Backus. And um, that's my daddy. Mm-hmm. So, um, but as far as the the day goes, like um, my mom came and got me. Um, she was just like I could I could see the the panic on her face, and I was like, you know, being who I am, I'm I'm very like nonchalant, laid back. I was just like what you. What, what's the problem? Like, come now. I just want to live. Like, you know, it's it's mm-hmm. my senior year. You know, I I'm doing what I want. You know, I I too too I talked. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm just like, what's the problem? And so, she's just like. Your dad was there. And I was like, you know, it was to the point where I was arguing her down, like, no, he wasn't. And I still didn't know what happened. Mind y'all, we, you know, we didn't have TVs in school and stuff like that. We didn't have cell phones like to alert you. So everything was just word of mouth. And so when it's like a helicopter, a helicopter versus a plane, you like, what's the big deal? So when we got in the car. She's like, no, a plane hit, and I was just like, okay, you know, you're not thinking as bad as it was. So when we got home, um, it's all on the news. It's it's hard to get in touch with him because the towers were the main, the central hub for all cell phones, beepers, everything. So it's like you're not really getting dial tone. You um the ringing, you're not the phone not ringing. Um, you know. back then Mm -hmm. you didn't even have to dial um what do you call it area codes like how we got area codes now you didn't have to do all that (laughs) right so it's just like you just dial who you are trying to to call and that's it and you know we weren't getting him and um you turn on the news so he was in the building that got hit first but fell second Mm. So I I believe that was the North Tower that that got hit first, that had Windows of the World on it, which is one of the famous restaurants. And um, um, let me see. It was just like (sighs) watching the TV and just seeing the second building get hit. And then you were like, okay, that's no accident.
1: Yeah.
2: And... I remember going outside and standing in the backyard because our in our backyard and I, I don't know what compelled me to do it but I just remember looking at the sky and like, what is going on? You know, Because when you think of, when you see the second building getting hit because rarely anybody has the first building getting hit. When you see the second one getting hit and you see the first one smoking, you're like, okay, what is going on? And I go, you think, like, just mayhem. So you, what I did to go outside to see, like, how we were talking about the girl from Long Island, like, can I see, like, right, can right, I see right. what's going on? And, of course, where we're our location, you can't see. And I'm just like, like, I guess it was more so a daze. And I'll mm-hmm. be very honest, I've been in a daze ever since, mm-hmm. like, Black- it's just like I can talk about it, but it's just like
1: still surreal still. Yeah,
2: still very surreal. Like, you know, I know like it might sound weird, but it's like sometimes I will see some a man walking and I'll look like mm. you know, like my dad. And I'll, you know, because my dad was he was a short guy. He was like five five, but Napoleon complex if you ever thought of one but he walked with his head high so he commanded attention whether he wanted it or not and sometimes I see you know older men who should be you know in his age and I'll just be like I'll double take which you know some people might be like that's awkward but that's just you know you know coming up on this 20 years it's it's crazy. I feel like it's been longer than that. Mm. Um, I feel like um, you know. I wish that he was here for more guidance. I mean, besides uh, my grandfather, his dad, he's like one of the smartest men that I ever knew. You know, he wanted to be a chemist, mm-hmm. and for him to get into to to numbers the way that he did, you know, he just could remember things, the signs that they had to do on the floor. Um, That's, hit, easy feet. That's
1: no easy feat. That's no easy occupation at all.
2: At all. Like you have to remember, like you're on the floor and people are just screaming numbers at you. Buy, sell, you're doing hand signals and stuff like that. I remember he tried to show me this hand signals when I was like in sixth, seventh grade. And he was like, nah, you ain't got it. Like just, <laughs> just, just drop it.
1: I was like, ah. Cause I just couldn't get
2: it, but um, mm-hmm. and it's like you're remembering these numbers, you're writing them down, and you can't mess up because if somebody sells buy three hundred shares of orange juice and you put three thousand, you messing them up. You you in the yes. red. Anybody who loves their parents or their parents were like. You know, I'm aging myself. Thebomb.com. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people, you you're gonna speak highly of them, but one thing is, is that there was so much stuff about my father that I didn't know, and till this day, there are people that, <clears throat> excuse me, I might randomly meet, and they'll be like, "Oh yeah, I used to work on the floor," blah blah blah. We're talking, and then I'd be like, "Oh yeah, my dad," and it comes out that you know, he he is who he is, and they're like. Oh, I loved your dad, you know, and, and the fact of the matter that all these years, like he, he was nobody to play with. So the fact that you have people who are like, I loved him. He, he was, you know, this mentor for me, or he taught me so much, you know, like, unfortunately we're in a day today where you can have knowledge and people don't want to share it it's like they yeah. did want to hold it to themselves and from what i understand my father wasn't like that
1: mm-hmm. um
2: he's he put at least three people through school i didn't find that out until the day of his memorial you know he wasn't somebody to be like Look at what I'm doing, or look how I can afford to do this, or whatever. Or do you know how much it was for me to rock this? Like, yeah, like not to throw this man <laughs> under the bus, but I remember he 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 was a, a hustler in his own right. And I remember one day he got a fake Rolex, and because of his stature, everybody thought it was real. That thing ticked, okay? <laughs> that thing ticked. But they was like, no, he got it. It's real. I'm like, I can't.
1: and that's that's you know the the, see that's what rich folk will do like not rich wealthy people do right I think we've had I won't go into that whole conversation but I think we've had conversations before about what the wealthy do and what um niggerdom does right (laughs) Right.
0: right but
1: I mean the little that I the The little that I remember, or no, I say little because I don't don't know half as much as you knew about your own father. One Mm -hmm. and two, I didn't live in New York to really have a solid, like maybe more of a solid foundation of a relationship with him, like our other cousin, um, Keisha. Um, But like the, I just his aura, his personality, the memories that I do have of him. I remember the Christmas before this happened, and the pic. we still have pictures from that, from that, I think that was at Uncle Miguel's house, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, just a generous spirit, the, the things that other people say about him, my own father says right. about him, you know, he does strike me as the type of person who would do those things that you just mentioned, right. he really does, but, um, I mean, before I even get into I guess I could briefly touch on what happened for me that day and Kel, you too. And then Carla, I want to get back to, I guess, how the ripple effect somewhat. You kind of already touched on that a little bit. But for me that day, I'll try to keep it quick. I was living in New Orleans and I was in middle school. And ironically, that same day was a beautiful day, too blue sky outside, super blue, no like clouds and stuff. And I remember I had on that school, it was like down there, the public schools, you had to wear uniforms. And so you had to also, we had a new principal who was like really pressed about like what you wore that wasn't a uniform, you had to wear a certain color because he wanted us to stick within the, the color scheme. And I guess the jacket that I wore wasn't approved. And he just did like a clean squeak sweep that day because we used to have morning, um, every morning we would go to the gym and that would be like our morning announcements and stuff. So he made everybody that wasn't wearing like a light blue or navy blue um, jacket come down to the steps. And I might've had like a jeans jacket on, something like that. <laughs> so we all got <laughs> called down and I remember like, he was like, y'all are gonna get detention, all this whole rigmarole. And we go to the um, the principal's office and we're in there. And then there's like a, a lot of commotion going on. Couldn't remember too much of that, but I just remember them saying, go back to your classrooms, go to your first period class. So we was like, okay. We go to the first period class and then I'm seeing everything happening on the TV. So I saw the the, um, the tower, I believe I probably only saw the, fir- the second tower being hit. I think when I walked in, it was probably the smoke coming out the first tower. My classmates telling me what happened. And then after that, we're just glued to the TV. Like there's nothing, no curriculum going on. That's it. Then the second one happened. And then it was like, oh, snap. So it was kind of like a lockdown. Like they kept us in the school. I started worrying about my father because he was still in the military at that time one of the little the gym teacher and one of my other periods was saying like you know they could come here and and because then we started finding out about which I'm sure Kel will get into from the DMV perspective we started finding out about the Pentagon and so he was like you know we got one of the biggest ports in in the state so they're probably going to blow up the um port what the hell, and I knew my dad had to cross the ferry at that same port so, for work, so I was just like, oh my god, you know, all my friends that have military par- parents were in shambles, mm. <laughs> and then we finally get home, and my dad was, like, still at work, and then, like, the first thing that happened is my mother and my grandmother telling me what was going on with Uncle Rudy, and then being on the phone with Auntie probably more so Auntie Rosa because I'm sure Auntie Juana was in the throes of trying to get information and just hearing everything that was going on and thinking of you and thinking of Auntie Juana and I was just like telling my friends like you know my uncle was in the tower and they haven't been able to find him and We were just holding out on hope, like maybe, you know, because of such a large explosion, maybe he made it out and was one of the people that was walking across the Brooklyn Bridge. You know, all those things was going around in the family. Like, maybe he just hasn't been able to get in contact with somebody. And so we just kept holding out on hope. Um, And that I'll say that was that day. Um, Kel, you want to share real quick? Sure. Yeah, I had a similar story to you as well.
0: I do remember it being a really pretty day as well. Like, I remember walking into the school like, whatever. And I think I, like you, didn't see the first one happen, but I saw the smoke from the first one. And I was in my Spanish class with Ms. Kavanaugh. And I remember, and it was weird because like, we don't even watch TV any other time in school. So randomly, like, I don't even think I knew that we had access to regular, not cable, but, you know, regular TV so that we can actually watch the news television right right so I remember my teacher she like was crying she had like tears rolling on her face her face is red and she's like holding her face she's trying to contact somebody on her phone and I'm just like what is going on trying to understand because it was like a lot of emotion like people outside the classroom people walking in the hallways it was just a lot going on so then I'm starting to realize you know what's going on or whatever the case may be Kids are like, we're going to be on lockdown because
1: it's D.C., we're too close, da, 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 da. Right. And so many kids, what I learned from y'all, is so many kids here had parents that worked in D.C. Right. And the chaos of trying to get, people said it took them hours to get home.
0: Right. It did take them hours to get home. So then it was like the, um, the, the principal, I guess, was trying to make sure that everybody stayed in their classrooms. Nobody leaves. Parents were at the door. People were, parents were complaining because like when we did have the opportunity to switch to our next periods or whatever, you can see the long line. of parents was like, I'm going to get my kid. So like parents was like not having it. My mom being one of them came up to the <laughs> stairs to grab me out of class because she was not playing no game. <laughs> yeah, it's weird because I don't, she must've came home early that day because she got to the, she got to the, the school really, really quick. And my dad was still at work as well. So, Mm -hmm. I think it was, like, one of those commotion things. Like, we just did not know what was going to be the next thing to happen. Like, for it to hit two towers, for it to hit the Pentagon, and then, was it Boston or Pennsylvania? Pennsylvania. Yeah, Yeah, Pennsylvania.
1: Um,
0: It was just, like, you just don't know. Like, this day has just been going. It just.
1: That one in Pennsylvania was supposed to hit the White House, right?
0: Yes, I think that's what happened. It was supposed to hit the White House, but it ended up somehow hitting.
2: Conspiracy theory. <laughs> right, right,
1: right, right. <laughs> they, right. They said that the people what the story I used to hear about that one was that people fought were able to like wrestle the person right. down and then it went into the grass. Like unfortunately, right. you yeah. know, it was like a suicide thing. Right. That happening. Um, right. For everyone involved. Um, but yeah, I mean. Uh, how would you say, Carla, that this has um, had a ripple effect on your life as best as you can share?
2: Mm, Wow. Um, Well, trying to find myself, you know, if I'm being transparent as possible, trying to find myself, um, you know, I... My, my dad was very big on education and doing well in school. So it was like, you know, if I brought home a C, it was a hard C. It wasn't like, oh, I know you could do better. Like, I remember bringing home a like a D in English and he was like, you can't speak English? Like, what's the problem? So like, for real, that we was I don't understand. So. I like, he played no games. And it was like the conversation that we had, like I was filling out uh, for college applications um, though up until maybe like the week before, um, uh, what you call it, everything happened. And I actually know I'm lying that that's not true. I, let me, let me rewind it. I remember filling out college applications and he was saying to me uh, I'm going to give you the first year. And he was like, if you don't do what you got to do, you out. Like, you got to pay for it yourself. And that, you know, looking back on it, yeah, I guess that was fair. You know, um, I'm not going to. I was going to
1: say my dad did the same thing, only I, I ended up paying with loans. Right,
2: right. <laughs> like. It' Because I was like, I was a weird student, you know, not a- already, like it was like I would excel really well one semester and then the next semester be like, yo, what happened? You know, maybe I wasn't being challenged. That's, that's just a whole nother conversation. But um, it took me a minute because the schools that I got accepted to, I got accepted to Michigan State. I really wanted to go to Michigan State. I don't know why, um, but that was our thing. Um, then I got accepted to James Madison University. It was like me going to Virginia, which is which is also, I, I guess I'm using it in the right sense, uh, ironic because it's like I ended up in Virginia anyway, um, ended up going to VCU, go Rams. Um, <laughs> But um, those two schools, I didn't apply to any schools in New Jersey or New York, let's say that, because I was like, I want to be away. I want a new life. I want to just start fresh. So Michigan State was my thing. And then when he passed, it was just like, where am I going to go? And found a school in Jersey. Thank God they had rolling admissions. And um, I always wanted to be a doctor, but... I think this kind of molded me to or shaped me into finding forensic science. Um, I didn't have a clue what forensic science was and I just kept being pushed in that direction. Like I I left, um, the school I had originally went to was Fairleigh Dickinson. I left that school because I didn't, my mom, myself, the entire family had no idea that we were really dealing with depression, and I was dealing with depression, bad, bad. And you know, I was doing okay in school, but it was like, what's going on? You know, but nobody could pinpoint it for some reason. You know, and
1: you went, you went to um, therapy, right? Like this, this, this cousin of mine was the first, one of the first black people I know to talk about therapy, or rather, to <laughs> champion therapy and right. that everybody should get it regardless of what
2: right. happens in your life. I, I am an advocate but you know what I got that from our Aunt Rosa like she she always was the one that would talk to me um, if I was doing some nonsense instead of like oh you getting a beating or Are you going on timeout like she would have that talk and her thing was like I think everybody should go to therapy at least once and that's what in my mind opened up, hey, psychology, what is this? What's that about? So I always knew I wanted to do psychology. I love to talk. I love to listen to people. I love to help people in any kind of way. So I feel like that already was my calling. But then when this beautiful thing of forensic psychology started you know, coming into fruition, I was like, oh. And I did a um, an interview <laughs> with the newspaper and the lady asked me, she said, did you go into forensics because of your dad? And when she said that, I was just like, oh, I never shit. thought about that. I never wow. thought about it like that. Like, I just, it was, I, I left the four year college to come to a community college because again, the depression, I couldn't, I was just existing. And not to go off on a tangent, but one thing my father always used to say to me, he was like, are you living? Are you existing? He's like, in life, there's the quick and the dead. And if I was doing some frig up stuff, he'd be like, right now you dead. So you, you stinking, you Mm -hmm. need to get up. And so Mm -hmm. I went to this two year, um, I mean, this um, community college and I saw forensic science on some random guy's paper. Like he just like, he was having a problem, and he just dropped his paper like frigness this, and walked out. And on the paper was all these forensic classes, like forensic fire, and I was like, "What is that?" And then um, I started talking to my. Um, it was God, right? It was because I started talking to my um, guidance counselor, and it's this black man, and he didn't really know my story, and and because so, I just kept coming in like, "I think I want to change my major. I think I want to do this," and he was just like. I guess he was just patient with me. You know, that was God because he didn't know my story. And then I think one day I just like broke down and told him like, because he was just looking at my transcripts and people will judge you off your transcripts. (laughs) He was just like, what is this girl doing? And when I told him my story, he was like, this is what you're going to do. He's like, you're gonna finish for um, graduate here with psychology, get your associates. And then he was like, you're gonna apply to all the schools you want. And if it's forensics you wanna do, look for those schools. If it's medicine you wanna do, he was like, but he's like finish strong here. And that's what I did. Um, I got accepted to my mom's school, um, Long Island University. They were willing to give me like some money But I just didn't feel good in my spirit. And VCU came up again and I applied. They accepted me on a contingency plan. And I went out there on a whim. And look, look at, look, look how God works. Yeah. VCU is one of the only schools that is accredited in forensic science. So like John Jay is accredi- is an accredited criminal justice school. I could have went there, but they are accredited in forensic science and they do everything in their power to keep their accreditation for undergrad and master's program. And I didn't know that. And when I got there and I got into it, I was being taught by people who worked on the OJ case. Like I was just like, uh-huh. like a... Uh, uh, kid in in bright light yeah yeah i I was just like wow look at this and when that when that um interviewer from um the newspaper asked me that i was just like wow you know maybe just like this is the direction that you know i was supposed to go in and maybe my father passing was this pushing me this way um hmm like like I said before it's like you know still trying to find myself um you know always wondering hey are you proud of me am I doing the right thing you know with my children my children my oldest my son he he says some of the like most shout out things and it's just mm-hmm. like that's my dad um, <laughs> he, he smiles like him mm-hmm. he um It's just it's just amazing it to watch, and you know I try to keep his memory alive by telling them like this is who he is, this is who he was, and you know just keeping that generational, um, keeping it through the generations because I want them to tell their kids and so on and so forth.
1: Because I think you and your husband do a great job of that. Thank
2: you keeping him
1: alive, and even in your home you have pictures of him and taking them to. Learn yeah. about him on nine, you know, nine eleven of past nine uh right. before COVID, Lord. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the,
2: the crazy thing about that is that you know my dad, he was always the one to take pictures. He wasn't the one um, in front of the camera. So unfortunately, I don't have a lot of pictures of him. So everything that I have is is of memory and any little picture I find of him sometimes it's like from the 70s or something but I'll I'll hang that up blow it up or whatever because I don't want his physical features to disappear as much as the stories that we tell them to to resonate as well like this is who we're talking about look how fly he was you know especially you know yes. the 70s was a, it was that era you know
1: yeah, y'all have that one picture of him with the fedora hat or whatever right. or that, type of hat that
2: thing. is. It's that hat.
1: infamous picture of him. <laughs>
2: right, right. With that, with that gap smile. Me, me and him got the gap together. Yes. But um, I think um, what was I gonna say? I think that you know his his legacy definitely stands strong, and um i I just I just find him speaking to us often and just like when I first went to the memorial um, his name like so for the uh the ball dropping for 2002 uh when 2002 was coming in, um, they put all the names of everybody who passed and then when they were done with it they broke it into pieces like um to send to different memorial sites different museums oh, wow. and so it just so happens that his piece with his name on it is at the New York memorial site.
1: Oh wow
2: check that out you know I could yeah. see his name on there I could see um Guyana is on one of Etched into the crystal it's really oh, I wow. like wow look at you talking to me I feel like like you're here. Yes um, I feel like, um, you know, I always tell, like, my five-year-old, he knows the story of our last conversation together, um, where the night before, the night before, everything was a Monday night, um, and I shared this with you, and I think I shared it with you, too, Raquel, that he basically told me, he, his exact words was, I'm not always going to be here. And so you need to learn how to take care of yourself. I don't want you to be like, you know, he names, you know, he was named dropping, but he was like, I don't want you to be like them because you are so much more than that. Like, he was like, you're a lion uh, waiting to roar and stuff like that. He would always say that, like, you know, because Mm -hmm. he, he excelled. Like one thing is like, I guess with me is like, It's like standing in your father's shadow. He excelled. He was always an A plus student. Bs were not a part of his repertoire. You know, he excelled that track. I did track. It was like I'm always trying to be like, am I just as good enough? And I had to learn through therapy. Like, hey, you ain't got to do that. You know, you you know, you don't have to be him. You know, Um, you be you. You you set your own lane and you're not a failure you know what i mean those those mm-hmm. kinds of thoughts will go through through my head but um you know him just having that conversation with me um telling me about waiting till the last minute being on time everybody that knows me knows lord jesus <laughs> i am not on time for nothing i will <laughs> i will be late to my own funeral and yes, that
1: you like, took the I, words out of my mouth right <laughs> <laughs> look and, and
2: and that's the joke i always say look i want to be have me at least thirty minutes late to that that bad boy <laughs> so people can laugh. Yes, <laughs> yes.
1: Um, but that's you. That's part of you. That that's
2: that that's make makes me me. But um, you know um, I don't know anything else you wanted to know about him or um. <clears throat>
1: Excuse me. This is kind of a um random question i meant to ask it earlier when it was probably a little more relevant because i really feel like i I really feel like just ending it here because i think that message was so right special do you um did you i remember when you was about to go to school or maybe you was switching schools and i was with you and you was going to like the scholarship people or something did they give scholarships to the students kids of the children of um parents and do you think they still do that for like i don't know people that are like babies like that comedian pete davidson his father was like a fire fighter and he died at in the 9 11 thing so i wonder and he was like a a young child when it happened Right. so i wonder if all like how far back they went because like the infants of that day were are now 21 or uh, excuse me 2019 or yeah. whatever
2: yeah they're 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 grown. um so there's two things i want i want to say um mm-hmm. so the first thing is um they did give i did get scholarships but a, a lot of my scholarships were academic um that i did receive um mm-hmm. the ones that nine eleven did give um they more so went to first responders, children and stuff like really? that. Really? They didn't really like set aside anything for civilian victims.
1: Mm. Um,
2: there, it, there was one that gave a scholarship for four years, um, a four-year scholarship. It was the only one I knew about, and I believe it was called Voices of 9-11 or something like that. Mm. And, um, they did me clean, you know. I was able to get books and stuff like that. But um, with the journey that I went through with life in school, it was like with the four years was up. I was like, but wait, so, <laughs> you know, thank God for grants and stuff like
1: that. Right, right. But
2: um, that was it. We did get, you know, like um, American Red Cross, they helped with bills and stuff like that. But mm. as far as a lot of, funding and stuff that they had a lot of that went to first responders uh firefighters and you know um police officers who perished and stuff like that unfortunately their families and then we came second and third
1: mm-hmm. unfortunately
2: but um like I think I think for my, my dad again he was a stockbroker so he he thought smart you know he he prepared himself. This is something for people. Um, yes, I was going to
1: ask you that ne- that next, so go ahead. Mm-hmm. People who
2: don't know, get life insurance. You know, you'll have some people who say, oh, there's no need for life insurance. Okay, so if you are the average American, you're not a wealthy American, you're not the Rothschilds or anything yeah. like that, Rockefellers, you don't have money like they do to just have enough abundance to have a funeral and to leave money to your children. Get life insurance. One of the things my father did was double indemnity. That meant that if he passed away in an accident, whatever his insurance policy was, you got double that. So if your policy is $50 and you die in accidents, your family's getting $100. So, you know, that's something that people should definitely take into account. Um, you know, if you're making a little bit of coin or something like that, get with a financial advisor, you know, he he understood the stock market, you know, he didn't, he he didn't think he was going past at 48, he was 48 years old. So, you know, but he was preparing himself for because, you know, accidents, some accidents are 100% avoidable, but this wasn't. Yeah, This definitely wasn't. Um, uh, One thing that I also wanted to say was for, it kind of reminds me of Pearl Harbor. A lot of people don't know Pearl Harbor because it happened in the 1940s. I think it was 1940 or 41, something like that. Mm -hmm, that. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I remember going to Hawaii and going to the memorial and speaking with one of the, the military veterans and i i know he's he's done going on to be with the lord now because he was old
1: mm-hmm.
2: the way he was expressing his what he saw and what he envisioned that day is like i was trying to be there with him and it's like that's kind of how like i feel now explaining it to people yeah weren't there in that moment it's like he was like I could hear the breaking in his voice the tears in his eyes and here's this you know this white man trying to tell me like you know don't forget don't forget showing me stuff like look at the water like um I don't
1: mm-hmm. know if you went when I went no I'm trash um no. <laughs> I just <did. laughs> I oh, yeah. They wanted us to go. To- <laughs> it's just no, They wanted us to go so bad, and I was like, "Yo, we gonna have to hit that one when it, we come back because it's, it's just it's
2: heavy." And I I was yeah. like for. But she told lie. me
1: something about the water. Yeah, like so the oil is still. Go ahead.
2: So what it is? So the one of the uh, the ships when it sank they couldn't get out the 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 um soldiers couldn't get out Mm. and so there's it's uh underneath their memorial is the ship and you'll see the bubbles bubbling up in the water and they Mm. say that it is the the show the soldiers crying out or like their ear Mm. bubbles till this day it's still bubbling 1940 Mm. whatever 1941 i believe so it's like him telling me that, him telling the story, is kind of like how I feel now. Like, I used to, um, I used to teach, and um, I used to work with kids, excuse me, and um, teaching them life skills, and we got, we watched this, this movie with, I can't remember the name of it, but it had Don Cheadle and Adam Sandler in it, and Adam Sandler's character, he lost his entire family, his wife and his daughters on the on the plane. And that is not mm-hmm. far-fetched. You yeah. know, it's not far-fetched at all with that, with this situation. And I was explaining to the kids, like, hey, I'm firsthand. I dealt with this, and like the looks they were giving me were like, oh, okay. Like, okay. It's so disconnected. Yeah, they're yeah. disconnected from it because like. Their tragedy for them is probably like, I, I don't know.
1: Um school shootings. School shootings. There That's you go. That's probably their, tra- That's their tragedy. That's their tragedy. And and, and even go what ahead. Did you say, Co? I said I literally just had a conversation with Eric
0: when we were watching the thing. He was like, Why are they why are we still talking about 9-11? I was like, What? At first it was like a knee-jerk reaction, like, what do right. you know, talking about it? And like he was like, So I explained, you know, why we were talking about it or whatever. And he was like, you know, your generation, y'all are just so brutal. And I was just like, look at your generation right now, right? We're in right now, right? And it's like he he doesn't he
2: doesn't understand because he hasn't physically been affected by a school shooting. Like, what has he physically been affected by? So there's not a lot of uh, children in this generation. I, what do they call this generation? Um, uh,
1: uh, Z Z right. Z
2: there's nothing even even the kids because you could be born in the same decade and experience things differently
1: child like like, like all our little cousins right they ran all of them right like they are they, straight. 90,
2: but like if you are born in 84 like like Beyonce Beyonce was born in 81 she's 40 I'm not I'm not 40 you know what I'm saying but her her like we might have had the same kind of experiences but then there's like that five year later like
0: 89 89
2: to 81 that's a totally different you know what I'm saying so Mm -hmm. so when I speak to people it's like that understand they they saw it on the news they get it they were actually in it it was the whole you know People, one thing I wanna say about people is kind of like with COVID, how in the beginning people were kind of thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, how you doing? You know, when 9-11 happened, people were like kindness. Kindness was something that was a factor in people's lives. You, you, It's Southern hospitality was everywhere throughout the United States, um, especially on the East Coast. But now it's like, okay, it happened. And, you know, I've, I've had people that are close to me who say, you know, I think them commemorating it every year is too much. And I get where they're coming from, but I'd be damned if anybody like forgot who my dad was, you know, and I, yeah. I can only imagine how many other awesome people lost their lives. The children, the children that lost their lives who were like, babies my son's age five years old Mm. you
1: know what I mean there There were children in there there was a daycare there no there
2: were children on the plane the plane
1: yeah Um,
2: I think it was the plane that hit um the pentagon
1: Mm. either
2: the pentagon or the one that uh the first one that hit the towers there were children in there Mm. and those those babies lost their lives you know I I don't I think that we live in such um a cruel cool society that we're just so used to things happening that it's just like oh man that happened dang yeah. all right so what you want for dinner yeah i
1: think,
2: I think with COVID, Desensitize. right sensitized i think with covid it kind of brought back the paying attention to stuff because you saw what was going on in the world it actually made people pay attention but i i kind of excuse me i kind of feel like now if something like um George Floyd happened again, people would just be like, dang, happened again? Okay. You know, and just kind of yeah. <laughs> go on with their lives. So that's kind of like how I feel with 9-11. I feel like people, you know, that weren't directly affected like you and me, you know, Kel, you're affected because you know us, but Other people, like, I, I, when I was in school and I met people, it wasn't something that I would tell people because I didn't want you to be like, hey, that's Carla Nicole, her dad passed. Like, it took people years to find out. And it was like, even some that knew right away because it was like the day would come and or was coming and I started acting funny. It was like, I have to tell you Mm -hmm. because I'm acting like a pure bitch and I need to explain why I'm so standoffish they would be like, dang, and it was like, you saw the sorrow, but they can't identify, you know? So, um, so that's kind of, I kind of feel like 9-11 is, is the second Pearl Harbor, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, all those people, it wasn't, it was like 40-something people who passed, I think, like civilians, and they have their names, but it's like, you can't identify but I did because I'm like dang you're just standing there enjoying this beautiful Hawaiian day you you see how Hawaii is so beautiful and then it's just like bombs out of Baghdad you know so I I got it what that that gentleman that veteran was trying to do and Mm -hmm. I try to do that um but I find it so interesting um how maybe it's just me maybe I've never seen it but I've never seen a documentary with the children, people, the the parent, people who lost their parents. I, hey, I never met my, my wow. mother, my father, whatever. Mm. I've never seen that. And I want to know why.
1: That should be something that's creative. You know, mm-hmm. let me hit up Spike Lee
2: because uh, <laughs> like you, you, he's got this thing um, going on now, the epicenter and it's yeah. pretty dope, it's pretty dope I want
1: to I wanna watch it, I honestly was not in the right mind frame to watch it last night after watching Kanan and some sad shit <laughs> happening on Kanan <laughs> I need to get a catch up it. Yeah, yeah, I won't I won't share but like, after that episode I was like, ready to start, I was like oh, let's put on that Spike Lee special you know, let me get my mind right for this week it's 9-11, blah 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 and I saw the first episode was about the, the COVID and the, 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 that dark time in like June last year when we was doing all the protesting and stuff. And I just was like, Not all that right, that let me that try. That say
2: it. Okay. <laughs> and I say,
1: okay. I got to do this another day. But I thank you so much, Carla, for coming on. Of course, Um, anytime, guys. Yes, thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your story, your personal story, because I know you don't want to be, no child that experienced what you experienced wants to be defined only by that, but they also want the respect and the memory to be remembered of their loved ones, Um, spouses included as well, uh, of those people that pass and, you know, we're always going to keep Uncle Rudy's memory alive and and talk about the things that he, you know, that he did. And I'm so glad that you shared all of his accolades and accomplishments. You know, so many people hear about a Black man at the World Trade Center and they may think, unfortunately, oh, was he a janitor? Oh, did he work right. as a chef? No, right. no, no. <laughs> he was much more than that. Right. Top notch, top broker. So um, that story needs to be shared more and more. And I think as time goes on, maybe there will be an opportunity for the children of those who perish to share their stories as well, because I think I think it's high time. It's been 20 years. I think it's high time for that. Very appropriate
0: so. for now. I think that would be really cool if they had even if it was like many clips of like that person's. You know, like your dad or whatever your dad's stories, past or like how he got into that, leading up to that day. That'd be cool too. I don't know if they yeah. get a version of that, but it would be. Cool.
2: Yeah, because I, I remember Uncle um, Nigel and him feeling like he needed to when when the so called war on, war on terror was coming up. That's a whole nother conversation right there. But I remember, um, yes, I remember him feeling guilty because he wasn't over there yes and I was just like you, you can't feel that way you know? yeah
1: that's funny you remember yeah. that he, he talks he that. talks about that a lot because he and that's a conversation we probably will have when we do the other portion of this episode but that is something that he talks about because he retired shortly after 9-11 mm-hmm. and that's how we ended up moving to Maryland he right. didn't re-enlist and okay. he always says that, that, that he should have been over there
2: right my bro- Meanwhile, my bro- as well.
1: I'm grateful because right. you know who knows I mean I think our uncle Alonzo he went over there mm-hmm. so you know it didn't it's not a death sentence but it I'm I, he uh, retired shortly after that too I think after he went over right so
2: right. it was yeah. like it, it was just like God. God knew what he was doing because, like I said, my brother, I think he he got out like right before Mm -hmm. all of this happened. And, you know, as as a family, you know, because we have so many connections to the military as a family, it was just like, look at how all of the men and women who are decorated in the family in the, in the military, like they mm-hmm. either it was like their last, like their, their, they was coming up to their contract was done. Yeah. They were just like, Oh, I'm not going to do it no more. And then this right. happened. So, uh, you know, but definitely salute to all the men and women who were over there fighting the war on terror and continue to do so. Cause here we are again.
1: Yeah. It hasn't ended. It
2: it. Well, but thanks again thank carla for having me um it was awesome thank you for letting me share my story
1: of course anytime boo
2: yes so i love y'all for free
1: <laughs> yes we love you too thanks again, Carla and Nicole for joining us. Um, I did forget to mention earlier we did talk for a while in the beginning of the episode, but um, I know during the epi- during the interview we kind of discussed um, how uh, I had mentioned, oh, wasn't the plane that crashed in Pennsylvania? wasn't that one of those the, the, the fact that the staff on the plane, crashed a plane. And I think she has said there was like a conspiracy theory around that, or she kind of like alluded to it. I was watching the Spike Lee, the same Spike Lee um, documentary, and he had somebody from United Airways that was on there. um, Not on that plane, obviously, but he was with one of the staff or like he knew the staff and stuff like that. It was one of his friends on there. And he was talking about how Looking at the plane and knowing the large size of the plane, he doesn't believe that the plane crashed. He believed it was shot down.
0: That's something they was- said on the turning point. That um, I can't remember the exact person. It wasn't the airline person, but it was um the guy who was with the president. He was um, mm. guy, what his role was. He was like, honestly, I don't. I had a question. Was it us? Because he did give the order to shoot down the um any crafts that was in the air cuz you know it was like a no fly zone at one point because we didn't know like yo what is about to happen like are we all just about to have bombs dropped on us like bombs right. on us? like
1: we didn't right. know so much unknown yeah um, so much unknown um like yeah what was deep well let me finish this real quick well basically they he felt he said that um he doesn't feel that the attendance crashed it um Because um, the seven, I think it was a 737 or something like that um, plane. And he was like, the debris that was left was so small for such a large plane. And there were planes, like you said, Kel, that were tracking or chasing that plane. And then it was like, all of a sudden, the plane has crashed. And then I just thought about how deep it was that it was this whole narrative that those were Soldier, um those were heroes on that plane. They made their, this whole thing, like, these heroes crashed the plane and blah, 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 like, for, that that was, like, the trade-off for us to remember them, but when I look back on that, I'm like, yeah, so if they did fight the people and stuff, what are the chances that they couldn't just land the plane? Facts. Unless the pilots were killed, you know, yeah, it's something so, so that...
0: I know, that we would never know. That we will never know.
1: Yep. Yep. Another interesting thing on there really quick was that there was a lot of people that was on um, ferries and boats getting out of Manhattan. They were like, they took like 500,000 people. No. Yeah. Five. Yeah. Half a million people from Manhattan. Because all you ever see is like the pictures and the videos of people walking on the bridge and stuff like that. But, like, a lot of the people were stuck in Manhattan, and they started jumping into the water. Or once the boats, the tugboats did come in, they started, like, throwing their babies down to the No one on the knew. Boat. Like, it was, it's just, it was, it was
0: madness. madness. <laughs> you didn't know you were scared. And I I guess I have a better understanding of why they don't tell us too much, because niggas panic.
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's real. And um I thought about how we talked on the podcast, I mean on the interview about how you you said your son was like, why are we still talking about this? Uh-huh. And how um Carla was talking about how you know we look at Pearl Harbor and we're like yawn or whatever or Hiroshima or something and we uh-huh. yawn and stuff or D Day. But like I felt it like you how you got you said you was emotional. I felt it watching. If it's PTSD, watching yeah, it. I wasn't even there. I can only imagine the people that were there, uh-huh. physically there. So much love again to Carla and Nicole for joining us and mm-hmm. being so vulnerable and sharing intimate details with us about her father's passing, and, and more importantly, sharing what an important person he was. In his community and in the World Trade Center community as well. And I honestly, I was like, why didn't Spike Lee reach out to you? Because- right. <laughs>
0: right. That's what really- I was thinking, Like, when, when Carla was telling this story, I was like, yo, they need to do
1: something on her dad because it's worth it. Honestly. And, and so the way I chose to kind of promote that is that in our sub, uh, in our um, description, Uh, of this episode, you'll be able to find uh, the link that kind of breaks down a little more history about him and some of what Carla said the day of. It was a nice little news article that I found online when I searched his name. So you can search Eustace Rudy Backus and find out information on him. Uh, But uh, yeah, she said she did reach out to uh, Spike Lee when she was like graduating college, which was probably like almost 10 years ago. Mm. And um she said it never, she don't think it ever got to his hands, but she had went in a lot of detail about who her father was and all that stuff, and she never got a response back. I was like, see, cause when you I'm telling you, Kel, if you do end up looking at oh, I plan th- to. this Spike Lee one, the way he he grabbed so many people from so many different perspectives, I was like, Carla could have easily slid in here he even had he even had a woman on there who was married to a man that was in a finance department that worked in a finance department in um the world trade center and they were both black her and her husband and she had just had a kid for him like they got married in 98 she had a kid for him in like 99 and then he died in 2001 obviously so i was just like she could have slid right in here, her and her mom. But, yep, you know, maybe another time. <sighs> and on, that note, on a lighter lighter note. <laughs> lighter note, yes. Yes.
0: Yeah. So we're going to get into this philanthropy highlight. Get up, get out, and get something. How will you make it if you never even try? You need to get up, get out, and get something. Because you and I got to do for you and I. Calling all of our Charlotte friends. We have yes. a Black-owned luxury day spa called Yugo Artistry. And the owner is Chitty. Don't get me all wrong now. She got a name on her. Chitty Mama. <laughs> E-Queen. Sorry for all my, I don't know if she's a Nigerian or a Ghanaian. It's giving mm-hmm. me Ghanaian vibes, but I'm not all the mm-hmm. way sure.
1: <laughs> right, I have right, right.
0: It have launched a foundation that will focus on serving youth and women in the community. The UGO initiative is committed to community support. They stand by three main core values, unity, gratitude, and opportunity. UGO Artistry has developed a scholarship program for current and enrolling students attending local community colleges or gaining trade skills through a trade program. A lot of the applications are opening up for about $500, and it will begin in November 1st, 2021. So if you're a grad student out there, you need these coins, come on through with the come-through. Yeah. As a former teen mother, Chitty Mama knows how much offered support and self-care can help mothers and children in need. The Yugo initiative is excited for their first partnership with the Relatives, which is a youth crisis center that helps children and youth find shelter and support by serving as the safe place agency for the Mecklenburg, Mecklenburg County and the surrounding area. So to learn more about their initiative, the Yugo Initiative, please visit them at com slash foundation.
1: Yes. Yes, indeed. And I'm looking at it now where you have it in our notes. I wonder if it's Chidima Oh, it might be Shadima, yeah. Shadima, Equim. Yeah. yes, Google, yes. <laughs> love to our African people, our Nigerians, and um, Lord, I was gonna say Trinidadian. I no. no. <laughs> I heard it. Yes, you know what I'm it's trying to say. Culture, <laughs> yes, we love it. We love y'all for real. We love us for real. The whole diaspora for real. All right, y'all. Well, we don't have a last call this week because, again, we know that this episode was super-duper long. We love y'all for real. Monique, yep. <laughs> uh, Monique voice. Um, if you made it to the end of the podcast, you were uh, make sure that you follow us at Cognac Cupcakes and Conversations um, on Instagram and Facebook. And CCC vibes on Twitter. Make sure you and-
0: check out our website at Tony at Cupcakes And make
1: sure you let us know if you are interested in our game, our card game. Hit us up in the DMs. Yes, yes we, got, we got the wild cards um, available for you to view. Um, I also just did that so I could add it as a highlight. But um, yeah. <laughs> you can see it play. if you see it within the, within the 24 hours that it's up. <laughs> when you listen to this, um, you'll be able to see some of our questions of the month. They change monthly, so we have like a slightly interactive. The whole game is interactive, but yeah. like that's our ever changing, ever evolving portion of the game.
0: Yeah. So,
1: um, so much more with that game to come. But in the meantime, in between time, take care of yourself, love on yourself, um, and love on those around you. Mm-hmm. Give people love while they're still alive. Yes prayers for everyone involved and um, never forget as they say every year for 2011 um, for 9-11 and until next time peace out y'all bye peace a vibe.